Hello and welcome to the JCBC Podcast. My name is Sean, and I'm so grateful that you found our podcast. Listen, the JCBC Podcast is a collection of several sermons that have been preached over the years at Johns Creek Baptist Church. I pray that as you find these sermons and you listen to them, they would meet you where you are in your journey. And I trust that God will do something in these words to lift up your head, if only for a little while. So go ahead and subscribe to us and follow along. So today is part two of an ongoing series of sermons that we are right in the middle of right now during the Olympic Games in Rio. Running concurrent with the the Olympic Games is a study right here at JCBC where we are taking a close look at some passages of Scripture that Paul wrote, presumably because Paul was a witness to the Olympic Games, the Greek Games of his day. And not only the Olympic Games that had been going on for about seven centuries before his time, but also what's known as the Isthmian Games. We talked about that last week. It's kind of the off-season Olympic Games that happened in that region, about 60 miles west of Olympia in a town called Corinth, or near a town called Corinth, where Paul had planted a church and lived there for about 18 months and presumably saw these athletes training and saw them preparing and growing stronger and more powerful and, and uh, competing to be the best in the region. So he wrote things like the text that will be the focus of our study today, this one here from 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Do you not know that in a race, the runners all compete, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win it. So if you want to turn with us, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 9, beginning in verse 25. And that's the beginning of that verse right there. Run in such a way as to win this prize. And last week, we talked about this prize that is possible to be attained in this race that we run. Regardless the race, regardless the obstacles or the hurdles that we face, there is a prize that is promised and it's available. And last week, we said that prize is knowing Christ and being known by Him. That's the prize. There is no more treasurable prize. There's nothing more valuable. There's no metal. There is no wreath of of garland. There is no ribbon that is more valuable or more eternal or more beautiful than the power of knowing Christ and being known by Christ on an intimate level. And that's the prize that is available to all of us. But what we said last week is not only are we able to achieve this prize if we do not quit and we keep on running the race, this prize of knowing Christ. We said last week that you can't win that prize, however, unless you get in the game. You can't win the prize unless you get in the game. So last week, we issued a kind of mutual call upon one another to get out of the stands and onto the field. Last week, we issued a kind of mutual call to get out of the Colosseum and right in the middle of the race itself so that we agree not to ever anymore watch others run the race of life, but to run it ourselves. 
And to not simply spectate as others run the race of faith, but regardless of what it risks, what risks may, may come with it, we agree to step into the game and run the race of faith together. Now, that's what we said last week. There's a prize. It's knowing Christ, being known by Christ. And that prize can be won, but you can't win it unless you get in the game. Today, I want to take that idea that we developed last week and, and, and develop it one step further, just one stride further, one length further today. Because it's just not enough to just get in the game. A lot of people in the game. But once you're in the game... Beloved, you've got to give it everything you've got. This is a game that requires every ounce of you. In other words, once you're in this game, the game we're talking about, the game of faith and life, you've got to train hard. That's what I want to talk about because that's not an easy conversation. It's not as easy as you may think it is because those of us who are coming into faith these days assume that stepping into faith is an easy race to run. <laughs> but it is not. And if we are to be in this game, we have to train hard and it will require everything that is in us. Now, I got to tell you, we've watched more of the Olympics this week and it's been great. And I watched last night as Michael Phelps ran or uh, swam what is presumably his last race, right? Maybe. And won again. It was a four by 100 medley. A fantastic race. But I, I got to tell you, the most interesting moment for me this week, however, was earlier in the week. Watching this kind of thing happen between Michael Phelps and the South African swimmer. Did you watch it? This kind of trash talking. Because four years ago, uh, Phelps lost this particular race. And now this guy is kind of trash talking, kind of bantering with him, kind of taunting him along. And, and I want you to listen closely to the commentators as they catch a clip of this um, uh, earlier this week. Watch what's happening in the ready room. Look at, look at LeClaw in the ready room, Rowdy. It's like he's going through a boxing routine. And Phelps is like, are you kidding me? Oh. Watch, watch, watch. He's just dancing in front of him. What's up? What's up? Right in front of look at this. And look at Michael's game face. Trying to taunt him. Trying to draw him in. Look at, look at. It's like he's growling like a dog. Oh, my Right? All right. Check out that face. And look a little closer. Take a close-up of the face. Oh, my. The glare, the game face, right? I got to tell you, when I'm watching this unfold earlier in the week, and you saw it too, you watched it happen, I thought to myself, when I saw that stare, that, that glare from this world-class athlete, as if to say, are you kidding me? This is, this is what I, I heard in my head, right? right. You know? Because it's on now, it's on. Okay, that's good enough. And it was on. And that night, just as the commentator uh, predicted, Phelps, allow his swimming to do the talking and ultimately won the gold when the real race actually took place. But here's the deal. You don't get to that level of game. You don't get to that level of superior athleticism and ability 
without working hard, without pouring every ounce of energy into preparation and conditioning and, and growing stronger and more powerful and increasing your capacity for endurance. I, I saw just yesterday an interview of Michael Phelps when he was 15 years old. 15 years old. And he was asked about his life. And at 15 years old, uh, Phelps said, yeah, I don't have a normal life. And he talked about his routine, his regiment. And sure enough, he didn't. One of the most powerful commercials that I saw before the Olympics began, and I'm not going to show it today, it shows, and you, maybe you saw it, it's an Under Armour commercial. It shows the intensity of his training regimen. It begins with early morning workouts while it's still dark, cold, long swims. Did you know that before the Beijing Games, by the way, I read earlier that he was swimming 50 miles a week, eating 12,000 calories per day. Okay, now that's a, that's a snack or two. <laughs> and he is in this commercial, you may, have, you may have seen it. He's going through arduous training and weightlifting and endurance swims and, and painful therapy and the cupping sessions and MRIs and a, and a strict eating regimen. And he's going through it and there's no slack. There's no flexibility. It's total and complete commitment to this thing as he becomes more and more perfected at what he does. And the fact is, you and I would not even be talking about Michael Phelps today had he not committed early on to work hard at the game that he had decided to be in. The question is, to what degree are we willing to work at this game that we have decided to step into called faith? The Apostle Paul <laughs> The Apostle Paul was watching the athletes of his day train and run and sprint and stretch and, and get stronger. And this is what he said. He said, athletes exercise self-control in all things. There was another segment uh, not too long ago when some Olympic athletes were asked about their daily regiment and about when do you take off and when do you rest. And here's a series of quotes from some of them. Take a day off. I don't even get a morning off. I haven't ordered dessert in two years. You know that best-selling book everyone loves? I haven't read it. I haven't watched TV since last summer. Hey, it's, I've been busy. World-class athletes know something that we can learn from when applying this truth to our walk, to our race that we are running. And Paul says it this way. He says, athletes exercise self-control in all things. But watch this. They do it to receive a, a perishable wreath. <laughs> but we, an imperishable one. You know, in the ancient games, you know this along with winning the race, they would give the winner a, a crown of laurel, a wreath that they would place on the head. Even modern games from time to time, a few Olympiads will, will do that. We didn't, I don't think we're doing it this Olympiad. But the winners, in addition to the medal, will have a wreath of garland placed on their head as, as a sign of honor and respect, as a sign of dignity. This is the thing that sets you apart as, as spectacular in your race, right? Well, in the Isthmian games, the games that Paul was watching as he was writing this text, looking at the athletes, they also gave a wreath, a crown to honor the winners. But do you know what it was made of? Celery. 
Yeah. I'm not making this stuff up. You can't make this stuff up. They made a wreath of celery and put it on their head, which is fine. I mean, you do, if that's your thing. But what I find fascinating is you and I both know that you leave celery out in the sun for two or three days and it wilts. And I want you to burn this image into your mind as Paul from the, from the word is saying, look, these world-class athletes are pouring everything they have into achieving wilted celery. And as I hear him, I, I say, and so do we. And we pour ourselves into pursuing every kind of aim, every kind of goal. We chase after all kinds of things. And you know what? Because we're so good at it, we usually catch what we chase. But the truth is everything that we chase in this life, every pursuit that we make outside of Jesus Christ is wilted celery. This is the end result of every good and noble thing that we think we are chasing that is worth our time and worth our energy and worth time away from family and worth the last uh, ounces of energy at the end of the day. We pour ourselves into the pursuit of things and they're noble pursuits, don't get me wrong. But I just want to remind my sisters and brothers in this room that no matter what we pursue, there will come a day when three days pass and it will be wilted celery. It will look good at first and crisp and it will snap when you break it and you can put some yummy things on it and it tastes delicious going down at first. But sooner or later, whatever celery it is that you're chasing, it will wilt. It will. And the question is, to what degree are you pursuing the imperishable wreath? Can I just get really candid about it? You and I will spend hours hours chasing almost everything. We'll pour hours of our time into building uh, a career and, and creating a business and getting one more client or, or maybe trying to get a spot on the team or, or get one more better grade or achieve um, uh, an education or maybe it's everything we've got to get one more rep at the gym or lose one more pound on the scales and we'll pour every ounce of energy, minutes and minutes and minutes and hours upon hours and go to church maybe once a month. Now, that's more than just a rant from the pastor, but I, I just want to point this out to you. How many times, how many consecutive minutes have you spent cumulatively in developing soul muscle? Soul muscle. And I'll talk to you confessionally because, listen, I know just as well as you do that there are some pursuits that are noble and you want to push after it and you want to go for it. I myself, you know, I like to, to go to the gym, and so I'm doing something crazy right now. And I'm spending time at the gym. And in the morning, I do two-a-days right now. I'm in a crazy regiment, and I do two-a-days. Early in the morning, I run. And in the, uh, in the evening, I lift. And then I eat crazy stuff, right? And as I'm doing that, I'm like, I've got a goal. So I'm going to chase after it. I'm going to do what I can do to get to the goal. But if I am not, hear me, hear me. If I am not spending at the very least equal number of minutes per day sitting in the presence of my Lord developing soul muscle then I will not have the strength 
or endurance or power to face any of the trials that will face me when I walk out of the gym or walk out of this room. How many cumulative moments of preparation are you putting into training hard for this race that you've agreed to step into? We must train hard. And the apostle Paul says, look, this is what athletes do. They're self-disciplined in, in all things. And so you know what he goes on to say? He says, so therefore I don't um, run aimlessly, Paul says, nor do I box as though beating the air, but I punish my body and enslave it so that after proclaiming to others, I myself should not be disqualified. Now, that is a powerful line. He gives us two beautiful images to hang on to there and maybe kind of open up. He says, I, I don't run aimlessly. So we're all in this race. But he says, I don't run aimlessly. See, I'm a, I'm a fan of Monty Python. Yeah, anybody else? And a long time ago, Monty Python had a segment called the Silly Olympics. And the event was called the 100-meter dash for those who have no sense of direction. Take a look. And uh, here we are at the start of the first event of the afternoon, the second semifinal of the 100 yards for people with no sense of direction. Uh, I'll just give you the competitors. Lane 1, Skolomowski of Poland. Lane 2, Zanapatik of France. Lane 3, Grobovich of the United States. Next to him, Drabble of Trinidad. Him, Fernandez of Spain, and in the outside lane, Bowman of Brazil. <laughs> Isn't that great? The 100-meter dash for people with no sense of direction. And here's the truth. You and I are prone to run this race the same way. We all want to be in the race. We all agree to step in the race. And we're enthusiastic. We want to do this. We want to do it right. So we step up to the place, and, and, and we're ready to go this this journey we call faith. And when the gun goes off, we have no idea which direction we're going because we've made no preparation whatsoever to prepare the soul or train the spiritual muscle tissue that must be developed in us week after week after week. So we run in all kinds of directions. Do you know what I learned this week? That some Olympic athletes this, this year, this Olympic, I learned that they plan their workout regiment four years in advance. Now, that may not sound impressive to you because you think, well, okay, yeah, next year I want to accomplish this. No, I'm talking about on the second Tuesday of August in 2020, they already know what time they're hitting the gym and how many reps of whatever set they're going to be doing. Now, listen, like you, I plan my workouts too, but it's usually in the parking lot on the way into the gym. Four years in advance, these guys are, and, and, and girls are preparing for a race that they are about to, to run. They know where they're going. And the trouble is, the challenge is, you and I want to do this race well, but the question is, are you any more spiritually developed this year than you were this time last year? And if you say no, what did you do to pursue it? How many times did you come to worship? How many times did you come to Sunday school? What Bible study did you join? Where did you go to seek a development of the soul? Because, beloved, this is why we come to church. It's not to do the church a favor. <laughs> it's not. 
And it's not because we assume that if we show up at church, something spectacular is going to happen, that there's going to be this great sermon or this wonderful anthem. The, the fact is some days when you come to church, it will just be boring. Come on. It just will. Do you know why? Some, some Sundays a sermon will just be flat. And do you know why? Because the guy given the sermon is immortal like you, is a mortal like you. And some Sundays, the choir, even if you just crush it, orchestra, even if you just sounded beautiful and it's all right on, on pitch, everything's just great, it may be that they choose an anthem that just doesn't meet your needs where you are that day in terms of the content. But the truth is, it's not about that. It's not about hoping to show up at church once or twice a month in order to be dazzled and now everything's great. That's not why we come to church, beloved. See, there is a cumulative power in showing up at church, a cumulative power that when you keep coming and keep coming and you don't stop coming to church, here's what happens. Ultimately, you get into a rhythm where you recognize, oh, I, that's the same person I sat next to last time. I've seen them before. And when you come one Sunday and, you're, and all hell has broken loose the week before and you've had a rotten week and, you, and your perspective is all askew, you, you suddenly hear something from an ancient text that reminds you <laughs> that we're living in a kingdom not made with hands, that there is another realm, another domain breaking into to this one and suddenly there's fixed in you a new perspective a new way to enter into this next week and beyond that even if it's not something that you hear from a microphone you look down the pew and you see somebody who came into worship on a walker or in a wheelchair or with a cane and suddenly whatever it was that I was whining about on my way to the car this morning is set into perspective and I recognize that I'm part of a powerful community here without which I will, I will spin off into some orbit assuming that my world revolves around whatever stresses I happened to experience this past week. The cumulative power of coming to church is that we look at each other and recognize, hey, wait a minute, I'm in the same race you're in and the finish line is the same. The finish line is that we're all seeking the prize of knowing Christ and being known by him. So everything that I thought this week was about, it suddenly is not about. It's about something new. That's why we come to church. So we don't run aimlessly, but toward the mark of the high calling, this prize of knowing Christ and being known by him. Amen. And then Paul says, not only do I not run aimlessly, I know where I'm going. I have a, a, a finish line and I'm heading that way with other people. He says, I also don't box as though beating the air. I love that image. He's talking about shadow boxing. He's watching the athletes of his day warm up for the match. You know what shadow boxing is. We have a clip of it here. It's a vital part of training in any boxer or any martial artist. There's Iron Mike there. Uh, back in the day, right? Doing some, watch him. There's no opponent, but he's working through the routine. He's developing muscle memory in his movements. And at the end of it, the vital capacity of shadow boxing is you stand in front of a mirror and you watch yourself. Is my frame right? Have I pivoted the weight on the right foot that I need to? Because when I, when I, when I go for a hook, it shouldn't be from an arm, but from a hip. And if you're watching yourself shadow box, you correct yourself. If I'm going for an uppercut, it's not with the arm. How silly is that? You do an uppercut from your heel. 
And you watch and you practice. Beloved, when we come together as the body of Christ, what we do in worship and Sunday school and discipleship, what we do here is we shadow box a while together so that we correct our form, so that we're watching our movements and we readjust whatever needs to be readjust in the being the body of Christ so that we're not just, you know, boxing aimlessly as though punching the shadows, though that is how some of us do the, do the race of faith. We do faith like we're shadow boxing. We're just swinging at the wind. We have no idea what we're trying to hit, but beloved, I cannot tell you how serious this is because we are fighting an enemy we can't see. And that takes some practice so that we're not just blowing in the wind and some of us spend all of our energy taking swings at the ghosts of our past. And there are some in this room who can't move forward because you spend all your time shadow boxing memories of something that you've done or something that went wrong or a relationship that wouldn't heal and you're constantly swinging at nothing. And what if Paul is attempting to say, how ridiculous would it be for the two boxers at the Olympics to get into the ring and they're ready. They've been shadow boxing all week long and now they just shadow box with each other. How silly would that be? The point of shadow boxing is that there is a fight coming. And when the bell rings, you better know how to land the punch that will fell your enemy. And you can't know that punch without being formed by the tools we have in the faith, by scripture, by the word, by worship, by study. So we immerse ourselves to train hard for this battle. I don't see how we make it otherwise. And Paul goes on to say, in Philippians, he reads, or he writes, Beloved, I don't consider that I've made it on my own, but this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining toward what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus. Gene, go back to that last slide. That word right there, straining, is a word that we need to re-embrace in the Christian church today. We assume that we can do faith without straining. No, ma'am, no, sir. To follow Christ means that we heard him say at one point or another, if you wish to be my followers, you must deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. And following will be difficult. It will require straining. But in the straining, we develop the soul muscle necessary to finish the race. Are you with me? Somebody say amen. amen. Therefore, we go to the very last passage I want to leave you with today. It's Paul, and it's in 1 Timothy, and he puts it all in perspective as we're watching the Olympics. And Paul says, look, train yourselves in godliness. For while physical training is of some value, Godliness is valuable in every way, holding promise for both this present life and the life to come. So I simply, as a, a co-journeyer with you, as a sojourner alongside you, want to say, how are you doing on your training? To what end, to what end will you pursue developing for this race, this fight called faith? And it all boils down to a simple question. At the end of your race, what kind of wreath do you want put on your head? Because there's plenty of wilted celery to go around. <laughs> but there's also a prize. 
of knowing Christ and being known by him. And it's worth every moment of training. Let's pray. God, draw us closer to the experience of knowing you. Not knowing about you, not having all the right words to say about you, not having all the right answers to questions about you, but draw us closer to knowing you. We recognize that we cannot know you without getting in the race, without getting in the game, and we recognize that that game will require every ounce of our energy and strength. But we are saying to you that it's worth it. Will you show somebody this day what it looks like to muster the courage to stand up and move forward toward this starting block? Show somebody what it means today to give their life to you and say yes to the pursuit of a relationship with you that never ends. In the name of Christ our Lord, amen.